Good morning, everybody. Today we will be learning Bezat Hashem, Daf Pei, in Maseches Erevin. Yesterday we finished off by reading the Mishnah on Daf Ayintes Amad Beis. So we start with the Gemara on Ayintes Amad Beis. What did the Mishnah discuss? The procedure of the Shitufe Mavos. As we've been discussing, you have something called Erev Chatseros, where you bring the Chatseros together. Uh, by, let's say, bringing a bath tzimatzas and putting it in someone's house. And shitufe mavos is when you have a more collective, let's, in, in our case, it's more typically in the old days used wine. Um, we do shitufe mavos. In other words, when we're making what we call colloquially an Arab in Baltimore, right, we're bringing together mavos, streets, and being, and we are being mezake, right, everyone, even if it's not in their presence. In other words, I moved to Baltimore a year ago. Nobody get, called me and notified me or asked my permission or my desire to participate in the Erev. We could be Mezake. So Rabbi Heinemann Shalita can take his own box of matzahs, be Mezake, Rabbi Hopfer Shalita with it, and say, here, I'm Mezake, you this, on behalf of all of Baltimore. Okay? It's a procedure that you do with when you do this procedure, you have to lift, as the Mishnah said, the Mishnah used the, uh, the Lashon of, you have to lift the barrel up, a tefach. That's what the Mishnah uh, had said. Uh, Rabbi Leibowitz, the great Dafyomi master, points out, why can you be zoche other people, even not in their presence, when you have a shitufah mevos? Apparently, it's not like that with the Erev Chatzeros, and the reason is Erev Chatzeros people know each other. And so it's the members of your chatzer, as opposed to shitufe mavos, right? You're bringing in other streets, you're bringing in a wider perimeter, a wider radius of people. And so in that larger crowd, sometimes when the, when the city gets bigger, not everybody necessarily knows each other. Okay, so we'll start with the Gemara. And the first thing the Gemara says is this idea of lifting it up a tefach. Does it have to be a tefach? Or is that, does that just mean that you're just lifting it up a little bit? So let's see. Because Andrew would jump in and say right away, lifting up a tefach doesn't mean anything. Anything within three tefachs of the ground, Andrew is constantly insisting is lovely. It, it's, it's as if you didn't lift it at all. So if you, if you use Andrew's concept of lovely, why would a tefach even work? So let's see. Amar Yehuda, says the Gemara. Right, so we said it has to be lifted a tefach off the ground. Now, why does it have to be lifted off the ground at all? What does it have to do? How does that being mezake somebody? So that's what the first Rashi in the Gemara says. Right, when you're actually mezake the city of Baltimore with whatever food is in this barrel in the name of the shitufe mavos, uh, you have to lift it. Why the kol kama demincha lo because if it's laying on the ground in his rishus, then you can't be mezake to other people uh, because it's as if it's his. In other words, it's very sim- it's very common to sort of, so to speak, take it out of your rishus by taking it off the ground to show this is no longer mine. This is the concept of being mezake to somebody by lifting something, right? To making a kenyan. To a certain degree, that may be also another aspect to it. But here to be mezake, you're taking it out of your rishos by lifting it a little bit. Okay. So says the Gemara, Amarava. Hane tarti mili savei de pupendisa amrinu. Okay, let's talk about two different halachas that we learned from the 
the elders of Pumpadisa, they're unrelated halachas, other than the fact that the elders of Pumpadisa taught them both. Let's discuss it, says Rava. Chadaha, the first one is this idea, this halacha that we just mentioned, of lifting the barrel tefach off the ground. And idach, the other law is, uh, is unrelated. Hamekadesh, and when a person makes kiddush, literally, kiddush, Friday night, or any other time that you make kiddush, that, let's say you make kiddush, and somebody comes over, in, in, in you know, I'm making kiddush, and then Barry is riding his big wheel, and for, with his Pennsylvania, with the Pennsylvania license plate, rams right into me, right after I made the bracha of kiddush, and all of, the wine pours out of the Kiddush cup, so I was not able to drink, and I'm not Yotze. It means I have to make Kiddush again. That's the halacha. Okay, Melo Lugmav, Pasha says it's less than the Revius, so you have to, you don't have to drink the entire cup, but if you didn't get at least this Machlokas, whether it's one cheekful, two cheekfuls, but be that as it may, it's, uh, if you don't get to drink enough of the grape juice, or the wine then in, of, of Kiddush, then you're going to not be Yotze. That is halacha of the elders of Pumpadisa. More halachas from the elders of Pumpadisa. What does that mean that he's not Yotze? Don't we say that is Yotze That's a very, very good question because Barry's asking, what do you mean he's not Yotze? Um, don't we sometimes uh, allow you just to have Te'ima uh, on, on its own? That's number one. But Barry's question was more precisely Midoraisa, he doesn't even have to make Kiddush. He already made Kiddush already. Uh, let's say if it's Friday night, then he made it in davening itself. He already made Kiddush. So if he was already Yotze, so then does he have to say it again? So that's, that's a very good question. So number one, maybe this is talking about Kiddush, not necessarily Friday night, but Kiddush that he didn't say in davening. But more likely, um, more likely, again, if you... The fact that we're allowing you to say Kiddush. Oh, so, so what it means when you're not Yotze, it doesn't mean that you didn't make Kiddush at all as far as vis-a-vis. You weren't Makadish the Yom yet, you know. But I think it means that you, if to the extent that even after you made Kiddush in Shul, you're going to be making it at home, you're going to have to make that Kiddush again. In other words, Kiddush Aliyayin, you're not going to be Yotze. Whatever the halachic implications are of needing to make Kiddush Aliyayin. So if you have to make it again, if, if in any event where you'd have to make Kiddush al-Hakos, you'd have to make this Kiddush al-Hakos again. So you're, so you're saying a different question. You're saying, why do you have to make Kiddush al-Hakos altogether? You, all made, you already made Kiddush in davening. That's a different question, right? But to the extent that you still have to make Kiddush al-Hakos, you'd have to make Kiddush al-Hakos again. But we, it is worth exploring, you know, when Kiddush al-Hakos is or isn't... Uh, is or isn't necessary, considering the fact that you're already Yotze in Shul, the idea of somebody being in Shul and being Yotze, and then being mostly his family, you know, how does that work? Uh, that, is, that is actually a good sugya. We've, we saw it before in Brachos, we'll see it again. We, we'll, we'll see that, we're still in Moed, so we're going to see these, uh, we're going to see these halachas again. Okay, we're about to head into uh, to some really good, some, some really good lambdas with Kiddush. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, Barry, would you like to learn more unrelated halachas from the elders of Pumpadisa? Sure. All right. So here we go. Amar of Chaviva. Hanami savi de Pumpadisa amina. This following halacha was also learned by the elders of Pumpadisa. Damar bihud amar shmuel. Oisin medura lechaya b'shabes. This has to do with a woman who just gave birth. That's called a chaya. 
Okay, that's that, that's the word, term for it. And a medura, if for those of you who grew up in Israel on Lagba Omer, is a bonfire, a big fire. So you can make a giant fire on Shabbos. Obviously, that is a malacha, the raisa, but obviously we're doing it for pikuach nefesh because this is a woman who just gave birth. Okay, so sover mina. So the Gemara now gives you some history uh, regarding this halacha, that it was originally thought from this halacha that in that the woman who just gave birth is a very special kind of pikuach nefesh. That there's sick people and then there's sick people, right? So we know that when you have a sick person, you have a choshesh be'alma, you have a nafal mishkav, and you have a choshesh ein bosakana and choshesh yesh bosakana, different levels of illness. So we thought that even on top of a choshesh yesh bosakana, that there is this uh, separate category of women who just gave birth. That that is a completely highest level of of uh, danger, right? Where we would do anything, including a bonfire. So the original thought was that for a regular chola, a regular chola, you're not going to make a bonfire, but you can make a fire, certainly, for pikuach nefesh, but only for this woman who just gave birth would we make such a giant medura. And furthermore, we thought, bimos ha-geshamim in, right? Bimos ha-chamalo. That only this, only in the winter, bimos ha-geshamim, only in the winter would you need such an incredibly big bonfire. But during the summer, it's, it's not necessary and we're not even going to allow you. Maybe we'll make a little fire to, to boil some water for this woman, whatever it would need to be for pikuach nefesh, but a bonfire would be too much and we're not going to let you. So it's interesting, there was a havamina that we would restrict that we would restrict the uh, kind of uh, fire and preparation we would do for the sick person, uh, for this woman who just gave birth. But the Gemara says, no, that's not ultimately what the halacha is. In fact, if you look at Shulchan Aruch, I don't believe you'll see any distinction between the size of the fire or the time of year or anything like that. In fact, but whatever you need to do for pikoch nefesh, for any kind of individual who is in danger, you can do. And so that's how the Gemara ends off here. Itma. So, so that halacha of the Saba Pumbedisa ends up over time being uh, understood differently. In other words, the original understanding of the fact that you could make a bonfire for a pregnant woman made it sound like only a bonfire and only for a pregnant wo- a bonfire only for a pregnant woman and only in the winter. And ultimately they said itmar. It was later said, no, that that is true that you can make a bonfire for a pregnant woman, but that even if you're not a woman who just gave birth, but even if you're just a person who did bloodletting and felt a little bit cold afterwards, right? Because after you lose a lot of blood, you can feel cold. It can be dangerous, right? You have to be concerned about that person's uh, health. In those days, bloodletting was much more common. And so uh, they said in the name of Shmuel that even such a person, that you can make a bonfire for him on Shabbos and even during the summer, which is to say, any chola sheyeshbo sakana, any chola where you're concerned about their life, pikuach nefesh is doche everything. And so even if it's the summer, if this particular person feels cold and you feel needs to be hot, you can make a bonfire, you can do whatever necessary. You do not hesitate at all in order to provide healing to a sick person uh, when you're concerned about sakana. The, what, what the Shulchan Aruch does say is that you know people have the tendency, in order to uh, counteract the tendency that people may have to make the smallest possible fire, to do the least possible in order to minimize malacha of 
uh, malachas on Shabbos to help a sick person, the halacha actually says gadol shebehem, that you shouldn't try to get somebody else to do it, you shouldn't avoid malachas on Shabbos and saving a person, but rather the biggest gadol should do the most in order to save the person. There has to be a demonstration, a clear demonstration that pikuach nefesh is in fact docha Shabbos, and therefore you, you, whatever you need to do, you absolutely do. Uh, we talked already about, even with regards to tchum, uh, earlier, when we were talking about Erevin, the, the Shailas and the Machlokas between Rav Moshe and Shlomo Zaman, where once you've already taken the woman to the hospital, do you, and you're a Hatzalah member, can you actually take the, can you actually go back home? That's a different question. We talked about that. That was Mishnais about going back home, uh, if you're going for the Dvar Mitzvah. But certainly, for the Pikuach Nefesh itself, we spare no expense, we spare no time, and we do not spare anything in order to be able to, to uh, save that person. Okay. More from the elders of Pupadisa. Amar Meimar. Ha nami savi Pupadisa. Arminu, they also said, okay, the itmar ezohi asherastam. How can you tell, we had said just recently, within the last few days, uh, we talked about the concept of an asherah, which is a tree that's worshipped as a vodazar, it's asar bahana. Question is, how can you identify such things? So sometimes you can identify, right? Because you see that, that tree being worshipped somehow, right? It has, uh, it's a pine tree and, and you see that it has, I, I, and it has, uh, whatchamacallit, all these, um, all these decorations on it. Anyway, so, but how do you know a regular tree, whether it's being worshipped? Okay. So that's what it means by a sherastam. A sherastam means you don't see it being worshipped, but you, but it's still in the share. So what are the telltale signs of a tree that's being used at a Vodazar? So I'm a Rav. This is what you look at for this. This is what Rashi is saying. Even though you don't see people davening to it, you see that it has like, it's guarded by these attendants and people are watching it. Somehow people are giving very special attention to this tree as we finally arrive at that pay. Um, you see, they're being very deferential to this tree. They're not eating the fruit. They're kind of like a bunch of guards standing around it. So that's obviously, something's up with this tree. This is a sign that the Avodei Kachavim are worshipping this tree. Shmuel Amar, Shmuel is giving more advice. He's giving an example of such a tree. If you hear the people who are watching over the tree say, you know, these dates, we're going to use this for beer, the temple of the Avodah Zarah called Nitzrafi, the Shasulei B'yom Chagam, uh, there's a whole bunch of B'yom Edom, B'yom Chagam, anytime you talk about the Ovdei Kachavim and their practices, you're going to have some censorship that goes on here in the Gemara, and you're going to have a lot of parentheses and different girsas, but the bottom line is they would have um, a certain thing that they would drink on their holiday. Uh, you have to look at all the uh, all the shirim from Sid Lyman about the blood libels and all the different things we were concerned. Whenever we talk about the Yovdik Achavim and their wine ceremonies, we have to be very, very careful because blood libels was always historically a huge issue that uh, the, the Gaim had this, um, this urban legend that the Jews used the blood of the Gaim for their wines and stuff like that. So you have to, you have to be very careful with the censorship here. We, um, and anyways, so be that as it may, this is Shmuel saying, if you overhear them talking about how they're going to save the dates from the tree for their ceremony, so then obviously it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an indication that this is also 
considered part of their service, and that would qualify this tree as an Asherah tree, which in essence is a Chiddush, because they're actually just using the, uh, the dates from it for that ceremony, and that's still Asherah, even though they may, I guess, not be worshipping the tree itself, that's considered an Asherah tree. Uh, and he points out that I heard Halacha Kavasei the Shemuel, and in fact, the Halacha is like him, that that would be considered a, an Asherah tree. Interesting. Okay. Let's get back to Erevin, if you guys don't mind. Four lines down from the top on Payam Bez. Mesve. Now we're going to have the question we said before. Our mission, as you might recall, said that we lift the barrel a tefach off the ground. Is that a minimum shear? Let's see. Ketan Mishtafen Mavoy. We have a brysa that sounds a lot like our Mishnah. The brysa says, how do you establish, how do you uh, make a collect- collective for Mavoy? How do you make a Shitufe Mavoz? What's the procedure? So, Says the Brysam, right? You bring a barrel, whether it has yain or it has oil or it has dates in it. It can have, you know, solid food as well. Dried figs, all kinds of fruits. If the food belongs, so this is, int- this is something we're going to uh, actually flesh out a little bit. If the food belongs to Andrew, Andrew is the one that's collecting all this food. Now, if all the food in this barrel belongs to Andrew, he has to then. He's going to make a proclamation. I am conferring this food to the other members of Baltimore. Okay? And so there he could do that, right? Because that's his fruit. However, if Andrew collected fruit that belongs to other people in the neighborhood, then then certainly you have to notify them at that point that their food is being used for the shituf, right? Because after all, you can't use their property in a way that you see fit without their knowledge, even though zachin la'adam shalobifanov, right? Even though we say that we can actually give somebody a credit um, and, and not in their presence, and even though certainly everybody would want to live inside the Erev, these foodstuffs are their property, so you can't just appropriate them without notifying them. Okay, so, if, but that's why it makes more sense, Andrew, for you to use your own food, I think. In other words, what's most likely going on in Baltimore is they're taking, Rabbi Heinemann is taking his box of matzahs that are personally his, and he's mezakeh, let's say, to Rabbi Hopfer, Shlita, on behalf of the entire city of Baltimore. Okay. So fine. So that's what the Bryce says. Now, so, so we'll get into that distinction of whether it's other people's food or your own. And then, umagbiya minakarka mashahu. The Bryce says that Andrew lifts the box of matzahs off the ground, mm-hmm. or the barrel off the ground, amashahu. Amashahu is the smallest possible shear. So that's even less, that's even less than a tefach. It doesn't matter how high he lifts it. It could be a millimeter. In the world of orthodontics, two millimeters is, a, is an incredibly wide amount. If, if I left your orthodontic case with a two millimeter space between your two teeth, you would sue me. Okay. So you could lift it up two, two millimeters off the ground. So the Gemara answers, my mashahu nami dekamar tefach, right? So that's the answer. In other words, the question was, that's a kasha. Because is it two millimeters or, is it, or does it have to be a full tefach? And the answer is, why? What does it mean when it says mashu? That's what the, that's what the mission means, or in the brisa, what's what they mean when they say a tefach? A tefach is just a uh, illustration of a small shear. So even though for us a tefach is a huge amount, for the case of the barrel, it really is just trying to illustrate that you lift it up a tiny bit. Any, as long as you see daylight between the barrel and the ground, you've lifted it long, um, high enough in order to effectuate this air of shitufe mavos. Okay, good. 
Okay, now we're going to get into really, really interesting um, distinctions between Eruv Tchumim and Shitufei Mavaz. This is an, an incredible part of Daf Pei in Erevin that nobody could take away from you as follows. Okay, so now, Itmar, we said regarding the food, Shitufei Mavaz, Rav Amar Ein Sarach Lezakos. We're going to have a machlokas here between Rav and Shmuel. Our Mishnah had said that when you make a Shitufei Mavaz, you have to be Mezakeh, the other members of the Shituf Mavos. Rav is against our Mishnah, which is amazing. Now, I'll give it away a little bit that Rav can argue, as you might recall, Rav was for the last of, he was a Talmud of Avchia, who was the last of the Tanaim. Okay, the Tanaim lasted from around the year, we're going to talk about Gaisha dates, from year zero to year 200. Okay? So, uh, Rav learned from Avchia, Avchia was considered the last of the Tanaim. But Rav was such a giant, in the world of the Amraim, it's considered the world of the Amraim, we, we say Rav Tana Upalig, right? That Rav had the authority to even sometimes argue on Mishnayas. So our Mishnah clearly says that we have to be Mazake others with the Shutif Mavas. And in fact, that's how we paskin. But Rav said you didn't when it came to Shutif Mavas. And Shmuel, who we all like, said that, like our Mishnah, that certainly we have to be Mazake. Okay. Now here's the interesting contrast. However, Eruve Tchumin, the halacha is opposite. With regards to Erev Tchumin, Rav Amar Tzarech Lezakos, there, by Erev Tchumin, right, what we call, what, remember Erev Tchumin, guys? That you, when you set up your own, uh, Erev, like you're setting up a bias so you could establish a 2000 Amma perimeter and walk. So there, Rav says Tzarech Lezakos. What case could that be that you have to be Mizake? So again, obviously, we're talking about, um, Andrew's going on a trip. He's an outdoorsy guy. And he's going, and if he wants to en- enable Barry to use his sort of like perimeter, the new bias that he did, right? So he's going to, ha- he's going to have to have a formal acquisition, some sort of, uh, zikoi that he's going to be Mazaka Barry in order for, Z- for Barry to use the air of Tchumen. Okay. So that is, again, we're not used to that. Um, but that's what Rav says you have to do. Okay. And Shmuel Amar ain't Sarch Lezakos. And sh- with regards to Erev Tchumen, Shmuel says you don't have to confer any ownership. So the truth is we're used to Shmuel, right? Because that's what the Allah is like. Shmuel just says, what do you mean? A Shetufim Mavos needs a Zikoi because everybody's giving up property rights, right? Everybody's giving up their share in the, in the Mavoi. So of course, if they're giving up their share in the Mavoi, then you have to be, you have to actually transfer. You actually transfer something. Tchumen, you're not transfer anything. What, what's going on? You're not transferring anything for Tchumen. And therefore, you don't need to be Mazaka anything. All you're doing is establishing a, the, the residence. So we had already said, if Andrew has, uh, Barry in mind, then they agree so that they don't have to make any Kenyan here. So this is what we're used to, right? Because that's how the Allah developed. But just to explain Rav, um, Rav, the opposite suggestion is as follows. He says that, that Shituf Mavos doesn't need Zikoi because Shituf Mavos is, is something that everybody wants. Everybody wants the same thing, right? Um, like Birnbaum says, it's only a good thing, right? Everyone wants an Erev in their community, right? So that means that everyone agrees implicitly. With regards to Shituf Mavos, everybody's going to agree implicitly regardless. Like, who doesn't want an Erev? Like, why wouldn't you want an Erev? And, and however, for Tchumim, You'd have to be, you make some sort of formal Kenyan, because if Andrew wants to go east, maybe Barry wants to go west. So in order to formalize that, that's very individual, so you'd have to make some sort of formal procedure in order to, 
um, join Barry in uh, Andrew's Erev Tchumen. So very interesting because there's like a lumdus that runs through Rav's Shita and a lumdus that runs through Shemuel's Shita and they hold the exact opposite of each other with regards to Shitufei Mavos and Eruvei Tchumen. But we're more used to um, Shmuel Shita. And that's the Gemara quite comments now. The Gemara says, Bishlema Shmuel. I understand Shmuel makes sense. Hachatnan lotnan. In other words, here, with regards to Shitufei Mavos, we're used to the idea of being Mazake. And that, Vahachalotnan. And over there by Erevit Chumin that we learned earlier in Masechus Erevin, we know there was no concept, there was no concept of Kenyan or Zikoi or anything like that. So we're used to Shmuel, says the Gemara. And Shmuel makes sense according to the Mishnayas. So where's Rav coming from? Elala Rav, my taima. Rav, where is he getting his reasoning from? So we said his reasoning, but we didn't say his source. What's his source? So the Gemara answers, Tanaihi. Right? It could be that these cases are actually Machlokas Tanaim. As follows, Damar, Yudamarav, we have a story of Raboshia's daughter-in-law. In those days, the Beis HaMerchatz was typically outside, as we had already discussed, in Masech Shabbos. it was outside of the Tchum of the city. Okay, so she goes, and she takes one of these, I mean, she's a young bride, and you know teenagers with their showers, they could take five hours. By the time she's finished with her shower, she it's already, like, well past Kiddush, and well past the soup, it's Friday night and it's totally dark. She realizes, uh-oh, it's the middle of the night on Shabbos. And she's standing there outside the Tchum in the base of Merchatz. So at some point, her mother-in-law, of all people, realizes that she's missing and says, the Gemara, her mother-in-law feels bad. So she, so Rashi has to say, and everyone has to say, it's less, it's, it's less good of a story but in the story is, you can't make the air of Tchumen, as we know, on Shabbos. So the only way it works is, her mother-in-law knew that she takes long showers ahead of time. But she, so she didn't say anything, but she actually had made her an air of Tchumen before Shabbos to enable her to return home. In other words, she took care of it, and of the problem, before the problem arose, such that when this kala was stuck outside the Tchumen, the base of Merchatz, turns out her mother-in-law had already made her an air of Tchumen to enable her to come home. Amazing. However, there's a problem. The, the mother-in-law made it for her, but she wasn't unaware. She was unaware of this, right? The Kala wasn't aware. And so it's a question. Can, you, can the mother-in-law have been Mizaka her or not without her knowledge? Let's see. So, remember, Rebichia is Rav's Rebbe. The Maisa came in front of Rebichia, the last of the Tanaim, the Asar. And Rebichia Asared it. He asked the daughter-in-law from coming home. Wow, that's very machmer, don't you think? He asked her from coming home. So, Amalor Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Shmuel said to Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Yossi said to Rabbi Bavlai. Why did he call him a Bavlai in a derogatory way? They were living in Israel, but Rabbi Chia was originally from Bavel. So it would be like if you're in Israel and you're doing all these things, says, oh, you, uh, you're American, flip out, kol kachata machmer be'erevin. Right? You're being so machmer with Ervin. We know that's really unusual. We're supposed to be making with Ervin. What's this idea of because of Ervin, you're going to have this color freezing out there outside the Tchum all Shabbos long? So, Kach Amar Abba. He said, This is what my father Yossi said. You're supposed to find kulas for Ervin. You're not supposed to leave people out in the cold outside the Tchum. So, this was a real reprimand of Rabbi Chia over there. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to say, what was Rabbi Chia thinking? Six lines up from the wide. 
in the base Medrash, they later discussed the case, and they said, so first they asked the following, what was Rebchia's objection? Why didn't he let the Kala back in? Was it because the Erev was made with her mother, with the mother-in-law's food, and she wasn't it to her? Or, right, that the mother-in-law took the Kala's food, but the Kala was unaware of the fact that the mother-in-law was using her food. And therefore, it was the fact that it wasn't referred to her. Because remember, we said in the Mishnah, uh, we were analyzing this, and we already said, either you could take your, like Rabbi Heinemann could take his own matzahs and be mezak all of Baltimore, or he could take all of Baltimore's matzahs, but then he has to notify them. So what was the problem here? Was this, whose food was this, and was it an issue of the fact that she wasn't mezake her, or was it an issue of the fact that she didn't notify her? So so the Gemara says like this, Amar lahen, ahu mi Rabbanan Rabbi Yaakov Shmei, it's an interesting way of introducing this individual. You could have said Amalahim Rabbi Yaakov, but for some reason they say one of the rabbis whose name was Rabbi Yaakov said, Ladidi Mine de Rabbi Yochanan, it was explained to me in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Michel Chamosa Irva, Umishum de Ziktola. Right? Clearly, that's what I would have guessed, right? In other words, she's not going to use the Kala's own food. She used her food on Arab Shabbos, right? She was. The mother-in-law was cooking for Shabbos. She's having this young couple over for Shabbos. She's cooking, and she said, you know what? I'm going to take some of my own food, and I am going to make an Erev for my daughter-in-law because I see that she's, about, she's heading out a little late. She's running behind. She's going to end up stuck there for Shabbos. But the problem was, that the mother-in-law didn't officially, didn't formally lift the Erev properly, to the daughter-in-law, and that made Rebchia say that you couldn't do it. So you see that what? We have the idea of mezakela, and is this a shitufei mavos? No. This is an heir of tchumen, after all. So Shmuel would have none of this, right? Shmuel isn't concerned about any of this. Shmuel, because it's an heir of tchumen, right? He only needs this zikoi by what, like we do, for shitufei mavos. But this clearly shows that it's like Rav. This is Rav's, this is Rav's shita. He's following his rabbi, Rebchia. He's saying that for, a shit, for an heir of tchumen, you need to have a zikoi. Okay, you need to write to be make that Kenyan for the for on behalf of the daughter-in-law. Okay, so that's what Rabbi Yaakov says, and the Gemara is going to support it with another story. I believe it's the same Rabbi Yaakov. Birnbaum wasn't sure, and also they again introduce him in a weird way. The Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the daughter of Yaakov, so Yaakov was also his maternal grandfather's name. Why don't they mention his father? His father apparently wasn't such a great guy, so they didn't they left him out of it. Anyways. So this Yaakov says, Kimatis Hasam Akif Vizil He says, okay, so Rabzeira said to Yaakov, who brought this up, he said, Aha. So you're telling me this story. Let, let me okay. When you go to uh, when you go over there um, to your destination before you go, can you go out of your way a little bit, make a detour and stop in Tsur? Because who's in Tsur? What's going on in Tsur? Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi, a different Rabbi Yaakov, but a famous Rabbi Yaakov who everyone holds in very high regard. Uvami named Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi. Ask the famous Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi, Mishil, right? Mishabamina, uh, when he arrived. Okay, I'm sorry. So ask him Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi. That's what he said. So ask him about this halacha. So Baamine, so sure enough, Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the daughter of Yaakov, gets to Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi. And he asks him, Mishel Chamosa Irva, Umishum Delo Ziktala, 
That very same question, was this the, was this the mother-in-law's food and the issue was that she wasn't Mazake to her daughter-in-law? Or perhaps, right, it was because it was from her, uh, the daughter-in-law's food and it was just because she didn't notify it. So, Amalei, Rabbi Yaakov, Ba'idi said to Rabbi Yaakov, Just as you had said, that it was, it was really the mother-in-law's food, nothing changed here. In other words, he just confirmed what they had um, speculated, I guess, or what they had thought was the case. What they thought they'd heard from Yochanan, that it was, in fact, the mother-in-law's food, and the issue with the Seir of Tchumen was that she wasn't Mezakeh, her daughter-in-law. But be that as it may, we see that Rav was following the opinion of Rav Chia. That's what Rashi over here says. Right, Rav Chia Koi Kerav B'Tchumen says Rashi that Rav Chia was holding and Rav are consistent with regards to Tchumen. V'gabi Chatzeros time of the Rav Mishim became the Karsale Gamar Umakni V'ein Tzarech Zechia. And then he just explains why you don't need right the Kenyan, why you don't need this kind of Kenyan with regards to Ev Chatzeros. So finally, after all this discussion, we get the Svara of Rav, which is so counterintuitive to us. Okay. And then he finally says, and even though Rav Shita is so not, um, right, doesn't sound, it's so counterintuitive to us, and it's against the Mishnayas, Rav Tano Palig, there it is. That Rav doesn't have to be consistent with the Mishnas because he's such a prominent Amara so as to be considered a Tana. Wow. Four, okay, so now, Amar of Nachman. Naktinan, right, four lines down in the wide. Naktinan, we accepted a tradition from our teachers. So we say, this is how we paskin, in fact. You see an uh, indication here in the Gemara that this is how we paskin, that you need to do the zikoi for Erev Tchumen and for Erev Chatseros and for Shitufei Mavos. Okay? So all of them need a zikoi. So really, this Machokas Rav Shmuel is not halacha. We, we make the zikoi for all of these. Okay, good. So now, this is not like, right? So that's not like necessarily Rav or Shmuel. We make a Kenyan in all those cases. Now the Gemara is going to ask an, an interesting thing. This is something that, uh, it sounds like the same words and pe- pe- people will be quick to tell you that it has nothing to do with it. But on the other hand, it has everything to do with Erevin. Look at this. Buy Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman wants to know. Eruve Tafshilin. Whoa, Erev Tafshilin. Right, we're talking about. Remember, erev tafshilin. Erev tafshilin is the is the food that you cook, right, in order to be able to allow you to cook on yantiv for prior to Shabbos. So erev tafshilin. When you want to make an erev tafshilin, tzarich lazakos or ain't tzarich lazakos. So you see, there is in fact some connection between erev tafshilin and erev chatzeros and erev and shetufim avos. What's the connection? Well, they're called erev. I guess erev is when you are actually um, right. You're, uh, you're actually combining things. Now, what does that mean, though? In the context of Erev Tavshilin, who are you being mezakeh? So you have to explain that you're being mezakeh the people for whom it's being made. It's Erev Tavshilin. So you're making an Erev Tavshilin. Do you have to make a proclamation? Andrew's being mezakeh all the members of his household with this Erev Tavshilin. So I'm Rabbi Yosef, what's this question? Did you not hear what Nachman Bar said in the name of Shmuel? Eruve Tavshilin. So he had said that Erev Tavshilin, Tzarech Lezakos. Yeah, we actually had a record of Shmuel saying that you do have to be Mezaka people for Erev Tavshilin. So why is Rav Nachman asking this? Yeah, okay. Obviously, he had not heard that from Shmuel. 
Because if he had heard it from Shmuel, why would he ask, right? You wouldn't have asked the question if he had heard the answer. So Amalei, Rabbi Yosef said to him, Atu Rabbi Yosef said, no. Actually, Shmuel said, with regards to Eir V'tchumin, that, as we know, that, remember, Shmuel said that you only have to be Mizakov Shitufim Avos, but not for Eir V'tchumin. And Rabbi Nachman himself said that you have to be Mizakov for both. Okay, so here too, Eir V'tavshilin, Rabbi Nachman may have known of Shmuel's halacha, but he wanted to know what was considered normative halacha. Does he agree with this idea of the fact that that do we agree with Shmuel that we do or do not make the error of tafshilin? Okay, so Abai is going to prove no, no, no. Nachman still he wasn't aware of Shmuel's halacha. Hachi hashta. What kind of comparison is this? Bishlei mahasam. I understand regarding error of tchumin and shutufim avos pligi rav Shmuel. There, there's a machlokas rav Shmuel. The kamash malan kichumin demar vechichumin deman demar. And there, of Nachman is just telling you that we're being machmer in both directions. And again, that is um, counterintuitive because after all. Um, it's um, it's something where we're supposed to be mekil in Hilchos Erevin, and yet of Nachman is machmer like both Rav and Shmuel that you have to make this kinyan. Aval hacha, but here with regards to Erev Tavshilin, if it's true that he heard Shmuel's halacha, mi ika deman palig, is there anybody who argues on Shmuel's opinion? Therefore, since again with regards to Erev Tchumin and Shitufei Mavos, we see that there's a machlokas. So there he would inquire. But with regards to the Erev Tafshilin, nobody says anything about the Erev Tafshilin uh, otherwise. So since there's no contrary opinion, Rav Nachman uh, could, would never question Shmuel because there, there is no halacha. So it sounds like Rav Nachman did not have the same kind of authority that Rav and Shmuel had. Whereas, in other words, if he had heard one of those authorities, Rav or Shmuel, Propose a halacha uncontested. If Nachman would never question it, okay. So if Nachman is really just taking it's it, like Rav and Shmuel as the source of the halacha, and he's being machmer in both cases, regards to Shitufim Avos and Erev Tchumin. But it must be that he not heard Shmuel say that you need to make a kinyan by Erev Tafshilin, because had he heard so, he would never have actually questioned it, because he was in deference. He was deferential to Shmuel. Okay, fine. Interesting halacha. 13 lines up now. The Gemara is going to talk about where, whether somebody can be forcibly included in Erev or Shitif Mavas. What's going on? Let's tell, let's tell, let's tell the case. Hahu Turzina. This is a guy, like a Tarzan type guy. This Turzina is like a Second Amendment guy. He owns a gun shop. He's a classic, uh, classic, uh, guy with a gun shop. He was in, lived in the neighborhood of Zera. Okay, so this guy is not going to have to be maskier, as we have been discussing, his rishus for the case of the, for the uh, sake of the Arabs. So I'm relay. Okay, so all the Jews in the area said, Lisa writes to your area, and lo ogir lahu. He was not, he was very skeptical of these guys. He was not a very approachable individual. He was a very intimidating gun shop guy. And so he didn't want to rent out nothing to these people. So also the Kameh Zera. So now the Jews are coming to Zera and they're saying, we have this gun shop owner in our community and he doesn't want to, and he doesn't want to rent out his space. What are we going to do? So Amr Lahu, Amr Lay, they said to him, Ma'olamegar midvisu. How are we going to do this? Can we lease the rights midvisu from his wife? Ah, we know that the gun shop owner, he's, he's got a very tough exterior, but he's got a nice wife. Maybe we could release this area for the wife in order to make the Arab. So Amr Lahu, Rav Zayar said to them, Hachi Amr Rishlakish Mishmeh the Gavar Rabba. 
This is something that Rabbi Shlakish said in the name of a mysterious great person, Umanu Rabbi Chanina. That person is Rabbi Chanina. Wow, that a woman can participate in an Erev on behalf of her husband even without his knowledge or consent. Wow. So yeah, go to the gun shop guy's owner's wife and make the Erev. Okay. So that was in Reb community. What about Yeshua ben Oshia? They also had, a, this is a, a gun shop owner. Ahu Turzina, Right, in the community of Yoshua, there's also this one of these um, Gaisha gun shop dudes. So Amrlei, and the residents of the area said, Ogalan Rishusach, lease your rights to us. And similarly, he was unapproachable and intimidating. He didn't want any part of these people. So also, so they went to and Amrlei, and they asked him, Can we lease it from his wife? His wife seems more approachable. So lo hava bide, he actually didn't know what the halacha would be, whether that was allowed. So also the commander of Masna, they went to the ra- other rabbi and they asked him if they could do it, and lo hava bide, and he also didn't know. So also the commander of Yehuda, they came before Yehuda, obviously not Yehuda Barashia, but the, the, the other Rabbi Yehuda, and Amalahu, Achiyamar Shmuel, Isha Shaladim, Ereves Shalomi Daito, and he quoted Shmuel as a source to say that a woman can be married for her husband without his knowledge. So now the Gemara asks, six lines up, When you talk about joining an Erev, women who join the Erev without the consent or knowledge of their husbands, the Erev is invalid, so neither an Erev Chatzeros nor a Shituf Mavos can be done without the consent of the husband, or the knowledge, his knowledge at least. So what was Shmuel telling them? What was this halacha that you can go to the wife? So the Gemara answer is lo kasha. Ha de asar, ha de lo asar. What does this mean? In other words, when you say that a woman can join an Erev without her husband's uh, consent, we, then, then you say that that is when it's not going to ruin the Erev. That's what's going on. In other words, mi'ikaradin, you need the husband's das. And therefore, it shouldn't usually work to just get the wife's consent without her husband's das. But the asr means that if you, if you have no other choice and the only way, if you don't get the consent of the wife, the entire Erev is going to be considered asr, so then we are going to allow as a special dispensation to circumvent this idea of needing the husband's das. But hadalo asr, but mi'ikar adin, this idea, right, of this brisa, is actually, um, is actually the halacha, that unless we don't ruin the air, so what would be a case? So for example, um, let's say, uh, you know, right outside the air of, uh, of Baltimore, there's a brisker living with his wife, and he doesn't hold to the air. So the wife comes in front of Rabbi, right, or in front of Rabbi Heinemann, uh, Shlita, and she says, can you please just include us in the air of, I want to move, I want to take the baby with the stroller, and my husband doesn't need to know, like he won't be happy about this. That won't work. Because that only affects their family, right? That's called the low asar, right? However, if they needed his consent to just make the entire air of, of Baltimore valid, then they're not even going to bother asking the husband. That's the point. Okay. So, fine. How the asar, the low asar. So, and you say, hachinami mistabra. It's also, um, makes sense that Shmuel, uh, held this way. Right, that he doesn't typically permit the woman to join in the air without husband consent. The imkain kasha de shmuel ad shmuel because Shmuel himself had said elsewhere that you need the the uh, husband's consent. The shmuel because Shmuel said mavoy Shmuel had said that if you have one of the members of the mavoy 
that typically joins the Erev regularly, from one time he didn't join, because he usually joins the Erev, and because normally without him the Shittuf doesn't work, you just what you do if he says he doesn't want to join is you just go to his house and you take it from him forcibly. Wow. Okay. So that's a statement. Right, in, indicates that sometimes you could do it balkarcha, right? Mishtatev shalomidas. So this says the Gemara of Ragil. That's because when he usually joins the Erev in, right? When he's usually he's joining the Shituf, then of course you, in fact, would permit it. She'en Ragil, lo. But obviously, if he's not usually going to contribute, then the, not, and, and in the case where Ein Ragil, that means that since he's not usually participating, that is an indication, right? That in fact, it's not critical for the Erev for this person to participate. So if he's just a casual participant that's sort of outskirts of the Erev, we're not going to do it forcibly against the Suel. So we see again, even within Shmuel's own statements, this idea that if you're critical to the Erev, we're going to do it Shalomidas. And if you're not critical to the Erev, we're not, we're going to require you to know about it. Shmami no. That we learned that Shmuel is in fact consistent with this idea of knowing versus not knowing. Now we're going to support that even from another Brysa. Lema Messiah from Brysa. Back to Ervin Dav Bez. That we can compel a person to make a lechi or kara for a mavoi. Meaning, right? How, how, how does this work? How are you coercing someone to make a lechi or kara mavoi? Well, you're going to make him build an Erev at gunpoint? What's going on here? So the Arthur quotes the Node to Behuda. What's this coercion? The coercion is the Erev fund. That if the community's economy is such that the Erev will not go up unless every member of the community joins in the Erev fund, we can in fact coerce an individual to participate in that Erev fund. So when it's critical for the community, you could do it even Baal Karcho. Says the Gemara, shiny Hasam, it's different there in the case of Mavoy with Lachir Karcho, the Leika Mechitos, because on that there, we don't have Mechitos and we need the Mechitos. Rashi, Umavoy Megulahu, Ve'eno Noach Lashomro, Rashi is saying a different thing. means we don't feel safe unless we have a mavoy. So maybe it could be that that particular b'risa is not really a support of us, right? As we turn to uh, Ahmed Bey's at the hopeless time of, uh, of 6.22 a.m., which means we're only going to get up to this top mission, it looks like. Okay, but we'll, we'll try to catch up with Hashem tomorrow. I apologize for that. So anyways, Lishna Achrina, another version of the Gemara's objection is mitzad shiny. It's different when it is on the side. What's going on here with this on the side? So we have, uh, th- that is actually very, very <laughs> controversial. This, uh, you know you're in trouble when the note in Art Scroll says, this version is incomprehensible and is obviously a printer's error. Okay, so if you didn't understand what he meant by mitzad shiny, you're not the only one. Nobody understood it. There are a whole bunch of different suggestions as to what it means. Either bebeized in shiny or rotze shiny. In other words, maybe that case is different in, in, in a bunch of different ways. The Vilna Gon gets involved, the Behuda. This is already a, a, a little bit of an error. It's very hard to read that into the Gemara. But the point is that, again, with regards to um, the Lechi Vakara, that could be a different halacha altogether, having nothing to do necessarily with Das as it applies to Shitufe Mavaz. Just finishing up to the Mishnah, Itmar, Rabchiyabar, Ashiyamar, Osin Lechi Ashera. That you can make a lechi uh, incidentally out of a, 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 a shera wood. Wow. Well, a shera is aser behana. How can you do that? 
The Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish Amar Oisin Kara Asher. You can make a Kara from an Asherah tree. So Man de Amar Kara, if you make the Kora from an Asher, Kol Shekein Lechi, then he certainly would allow a Lechi to be made from it. Uman de Amar Lechi, Aval Kara Lo. Right? Why? Because the point is that the Lechi can be insubstantial. And therefore, you can actually, right, it doesn't need to be substantial in order to, to function as an Erev. It's just like a string, like a line. But a kara has to be substantial. So if you hold that only the lechi, uh, a share can be used only for lechi, it can't be used for a kara. Because chatute mechtas shura, this is like what you say by lulav a gazel, by a lulav. If it's an ashera, it's as if it has no substance at all. And if it has no substance at all, then it's considered insignificant and it would not fulfill the shear of a kara and therefore would not qualify as a kara. So if you hold that the ashera can be used as a kara, so then certainly a lechi would be. But it, it does not work the other way around. And therefore, if you hold that only a lechi can be used at, from an ashera, then the kara would not be. Bezat Hashem, we'll pick up on this tomorrow. Berchteya.